to the Humanity Church Podcast, a place where meaningful conversations around living by faith, being known by love, and becoming a voice of hope are shared with the world every week. We hope that you enjoy this podcast and will join us live on Sundays at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, online or at the historic Fox Theater in beautiful downtown Pomona. We also host humanity groups that meet all throughout the city and online to continue the conversation and support you in your ongoing spiritual journey. Find one near you by visiting humanitychurch.com. If you would like to financially support this podcast or the ongoing work at Humanity Church, you can text any donation amount to 84321 and give directly from your phone. Now, here's this week's podcast. Jesus, we, we just pause and we stand in awe that we get to be in your presence here today. That you've already met us here in song and you've met us here in community and We ask that you would just continue to meet us here, that you would continue to unfold our hearts as you unfold yours to us, and that we might walk away from here transformed, changed, new as a result of being with you and with one another. We thank you, God, that you choose to meet us in places like this. May may the intimacy of that not be lost on us this morning. We are so grateful that you choose to show up in the most unexpected of times and places. And so we um, take full advantage of that this morning. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Well, we've been in a four-week conversation called prayer, taking a look at what it looks like to commune with the divine. And we've taken a look at what it looks like to to pray prayers of thanksgiving and gratitude, to pray prayers where we actually ask God for the things that we need and that we desire. Last week, Scott spoke on Father's Day about these, these warrior intercessory prayers where we pray on behalf of other people and we fight for the people around us. And to be honest, I love pray. I love talking about prayer because it's actually one of the easiest things to talk about because everyone prays, whether we're aware of it or not. And it can look all kinds of different ways. For some people, that looks like a daily quiet time with God. For other people, that looks like crystals and Palo Santo. For other people, that looks like putting intentions out to the universe. I, I'm, not, I'm not endorsing all of those. I'm just saying that, that the human soul was made to attempt to commune with the divine. We can't get away from that. That, that there's something inside of us that actually longs to connect. And, and it can be one of the most exhilarating, most beautiful things on the planet. That, that when we are in conversation with God, and then when he speaks back, that can be one of the most surprising places to be. When, when, when God does a miracle, when God shows up and does the unexpected, when he actually hears our requests and responds, there is nothing like that. I have been in so many places we have prayed for people to be healed and they were instantly healed. I have prayed for marriages in our living room on our sofa to be restored and they were restored. I have prayed for people to have breakthroughs in so many areas of their lives and within months they were completely transformed. Those are the exciting moments of prayer. And prayer can be also one of the most heartbreaking places on the planet as well. It can be one of the most disturbing and most painful and most uh, confusing times, all in the same place. See, we love the miracle. We we love when God works for us. We love when when God uh, agrees with us and when he obeys what we want him to do and when God is doing what he's supposed to be doing for us and in us and through us. We we love those moments. But but what happens when God is non-compliant? Well, what happens when God is not actually interested in what we have to say or what we want or what we demand or think needs to happen in the moment? Have you ever get, have you ever get frustrated with God in prayer? Yes. I do all the time. I mean, 
I mostly get frustrated with God because it seems so unfair that someone can pray for their keys to be found and they're found, but then when someone prays for their loved one's chronic illness to be healed, it's not healed. It's confusing to me when someone prays for a $2 a month raise and they come back and they say, I got it. But the person who's been praying for their kid who's addicted to drugs to get clean for 20 years doesn't get that prayer answered. I don't know what's up with that. I don't know what's up when, when we pray for a sunny day and we get it. But then the person who's begging for their spouse's heart to be changed before they get the divorce doesn't get their prayer answered and they're left alone. Those are those moments where you say, God, what is up? Where are you? It's those moments that actually say, I'm, make you want to say, I'm, I'm just never going to pray again. It's not, it's not, there's no use. It makes it feel arbitrary. It feels like, where is God in the middle of all this? I remember 2012 was a year that I will never forget. It was the year of hell. And I remember getting the phone call from my friend Sarah saying, hey, can you get down to the hospital because our daughter has been diagnosed with a brain tumor and being so panicked driving to the hospital and getting there and finding out that it was an aggressive cancer that needed to be operated on immediately and not knowing what was going to take place with that situation. At the same time, we had moved our whole community from a, from a very urban environment, to a suburban environment to the urban environment, actually here at the Fox Theater, and there was a mass exodus of people in that process. I don't know why people wanted to leave after that we moved from the comfortable place that we were in to this uncomfortable place that we found ourselves in, but there were people who were just unwilling to be on mission with us and were not interested in staying, and so I was having 10, 15 conversations a week of people saying, we're going to another church, we're leaving, we're not going to come back. And then we met with a consultant that said, you have about three to six months to survive, and you're probably going to need to find a job or close down the church in some way, shape, or form. And so I found myself begging God. Have you ever been there where you're just begging God to do anything? At that point, I didn't even care what he did. I was just like, do something. Move in some way, shape, or form. And I remember getting the the diagnosis back after the brain tumor was removed that it was a rare aggressive cancer that was going to be inoperable and that there was going to be just months left for a little sterling. And I remember our community rallied together and we prayed. We prayed and we prayed and we prayed and we held prayer rallies. And I remember asking people to pray, knowing that the answer was probably going to be no. And I felt like such a fraud. In fact, I remember thinking, Is this even ethical to ask people to pray for something that we pretty much know the outcome of? And where is this going to leave people? Feeling abandoned, rejected, like why pray? Now I'm actually leading people into a horrible situation. And I found myself overwhelmed with the moment over there. And then I remember going to Sterling's home on September 27th of that year and knowing that that evening she was probably going to pass. And sitting in my car about to go in, to be with Sarah and her husband and sitting in the car feeling so helpless that there was no, there was no prayer that I could pray in that moment. There was, there was nothing that I could do or even say that was going to make it better. And I had no idea what to do. And I remember sitting in my car for 10 minutes just thinking, God, where are you? Where are you in all of this? So angry with him. And we held the memorial service actually right here on this stage at the Fox Theater. And afterwards, I remember sitting in my living room, exhausted. I had developed an eye twitch. 
I had gained about 35 pounds and just crying uncontrollably because God had seemed incredibly absent. He was silent. And I remember just asking him, what is the point of all of this? Have you ever been there before? Or you're just asking God, like, what is the point of all of this? This seems not just arbitrary. It actually seems cruel that you would put us through this. And so it's great to talk about prayer when it works. But what happens when it doesn't? Where do you go when prayer seems to to not have the desired effect that we long for on our lives? See, the interesting thing is that the Bible is actually much more open and honest about unanswered prayer than most of us would like it to be. In fact, the church has assumed that it could market Jesus as like the the spiritual Santa Claus, that that if you just ask him, he's going to give it to you. If you need money, he's going to come through. If you need a blessing, he's going to come through. If you're a mess, he's going to turn it into a message. If you're in a test, he's going to turn it into a testimony. And we assume that we could market God like a giant ATM with our prayers. And then when he doesn't come through like that, it leaves people disillusioned, angry, frustrated, feeling like, what's the point of all of this? See, I actually want to read to you one of the last prayers that Jesus prayed for us before his death. In fact, when he was about to be crucified, these were the last prayers that he prayed to God, some of them in John 17, 20 through 23. He says, my prayer is not for them alone, his disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, us, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you and me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe you have sent me. I have given them my glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought into complete unity. Then the world will know you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Now, let me just ask you a quick question. Raise your hand if when you look at the church globally, the word that you would use to describe it is complete unity. Like, if you look at the church, you're like, man, everyone's getting along. There's no infighting about theology. No one's really at each other's back. No one's really, uh, you know, slandering each other on Facebook. There's not a lot of Twitter comments. There's not angry memes about who believes the right thing. Anyone have noticed that? Didn't think so. You know, the crazy thing is that Jesus has been in his own unanswered prayer for almost 2,000 years. So I figure that if if Jesus actually lives with unanswered prayer, then chances are that we are probably also going to be living with unanswered prayer. There's going to be prayers that we are going to utter that we will never get an answer for, or the answer will be no, and it'll be even more frustrating with that. See, I, I think this is so powerful because when we talk about this, we're not talking about a God who is unfamiliar with disappointment, We're not talking about a a God who is unfamiliar with not having the deepest longings of his own heart met, having the deepest desires and grief and sorrow and disappointment live within him. See, we get disillusioned when we assumed that we are owed a specific answer or that we are even owed an answer at all. See, when Jesus was actually the one who promised in this world, you will have trouble. 
In this world, there will be certain prayers that are either seemingly not answered or not answered in the way you want them to, and so you will go through trouble. Not you might go through trouble, not there are certain circumstances where you're gonna have trouble, not some people go through trouble and others don't. You will go through trouble. That's a promise. You can take that to the bank on it. See, we, we just don't like that promise. That's not a promise we put on Bible covers or a meme on Facebook. In fact, when God named his people in the scriptures, he named them Israel. And one of the meanings of the name Israel is the struggle. Could you imagine calling your kid the struggle? You know, like here's my three children, John, Jane, and the struggle. Right? But when God decided, what should I name my people? Every day when they call themselves their name, when other people call them this, what do I want to remind them of? And he said, you know what I want to remind them of? They're, they're going to struggle. I wanted to remind them that this life is going to be a fight. It's going to be a struggle. There is going to be some energy needed to keep moving through this. And so what I imagine that we need, not just in the church, but as humanity, is to create a culture of honesty, a space where we can actually be honest with what's going on internally and around us and how we actually feel about our suffering in this. Have you ever noticed how much energy we put into avoiding suffering? <laughs> we come up with all kinds of strategies to avoid suffering. I mean, whether it's social media or food or sleeping or humor or work or the gym or whatever it may be, we come up with all kinds of strategies to avoid just sitting in our suffering and engaging in it. And look, this is not just a church thing. Let me just tell you, this is a humanity thing. People in general do not like sitting in their suffering. Now, we as a church just put like a nice bow on it and say things like, well, joy comes in the morning, right? But we forget that before that, it says weeping may last for the night. So you actually have to go through a whole night of weeping before you actually get to that joy in the morning. And for many people entering into the grief and the disappointment and the question and the heartache, doesn't it feel out of control? I, I, I hate going to that place because it is the place where I feel like I am most powerless, like I am most out of control, like I have nothing to grab onto in this moment. And it comes in waves and it feels like a roller coaster and you never know what it's going to hit and how it's going to hit and what it's going to do to you and what's going to trigger it or remind you of it. And so it's so much easier to get angry than it is to get sad. Have you noticed that? That, that oftentimes we turn to anger rather than enter into the suffering and the disappointment of life, even with God himself. That, that we would rather be angry with God for what he hasn't done or has done than just sit in the grief within him. But here's the thing about anger is at the end of the day, it will eat you alive. The scriptures are okay with being angry, but it just says, look, you just be angry for a night and then get over it. Because if you stay there and are unwilling to enter into the suffering of life, it will kill you in the end. In fact, Matthew 5, 4 says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. See, I wonder for how many of us we've never actually found the comfort in life because we've never been willing to authentically enter into the grieving of life. We've never been able to enter, been willing to enter into the mourning necessary with the struggle of being part of the people of God. And you know, I, I talk to so many Christians and interact with so many Christians in conversations who, who 
either verbally or with their actions, associate this type of honesty with disbelief. That if I'm honest with my disappointment with, my, with God, if I'm honest about my frustration, if I'm, if I'm honest with my suffering, then I must not believe in God. That must believe that my faith is low. That must believe that I, I don't actually have the, the faith necessary to connect with him. That, that if I admit that I'm disappointed with God in some way, shape, or form, then I don't trust him. But what if, what if admitting our frustrations with God, our, our, our resentment, our, our, our questions, our wonderings with God was actually one of the greatest signs of belief within him? See, what, what if that was actually a gift, not only to him, but to us? Because here's what I found, that, that white-knuckling happiness is the different side of the same coin as giving up your belief when things get difficult. See, because white-knuckling happiness, what it says is, I have to manufacture my joy in my own ways to keep going because God can't be trusted. And so if I'm just happy enough and I just hold on to it, then life will be okay. And we can't let go of it because if we let go, then we are not sure if God's actually gonna fill in the gaps. The other side just says, look, when God shows up the way I want him to, I believe when he doesn't, I don't. But it's the same coin, just different sides. This is one of the reasons why I love reading through the Psalms because David was so honest with his doubt. He was so honest with his anger towards God. There were, there were times where he would look at God and he would say, where are you? You have abandoned me. You have left me. Why are you not coming through? Why aren't you doing? How long must I wait? And in all of that, David is called a man after God's own heart. That the man who kept confessing his disappointment and his frustration and his anger, along with all of the I love yous and you've been there for me and all of your promises are kept, all together, God's like, this is what I want. I want your honesty above everything else because I can handle it. And I love that this is what God longs for us. See, because for those of us who are followers of Jesus in the room, we are a paradoxical people. We, we live in the tension of the suffering and the hope. We are crazy enough to believe that life can come from death. We, we are those crazy enough to believe that light shines brightest in the darkness and that hope is actually birthed in adversity. And so if we are going to people that can stand in the tension, not just for us, but for a world around us that is longing to hold on to the tension and not have to live in black and white either or separated by tribes, that we actually get to be those who find life in the middle of this. Here's the differentiator, is that we serve a God who is actually willing to sit in the suffering alongside us. And not just sit in the suffering alongside of us like they're there, but I mean sit in the suffering with us. I love this moment in John chapter 11 where Jesus, his close friend, has died. And everyone's weeping around him and wondering what has happened? How could this go on? And he's in the grave, wrapped up in his grave clothes. And Jesus comes and he says this in John eleven thirty four: Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then it says this, Jesus wept. That in this moment, Jesus looks at his friend in the grave and he looks around at all of his other friends weeping over his friend in the grave and rather than saying, don't worry, I'm about to fix it, it's gonna be okay. 
Don't worry. Hold on. Just one second. I'm going to do a miracle. Don't worry. We're going we're gonna to take care of this. This was a mix-up. He enters into their suffering with them. He grieves with them. He says, I get it. This is really painful. And even though I'm about to do a miracle, like an unthinkable miracle, I'm going to raise him from the dead and forever Lazarus will be a metaphor for coming from death to life. Right now, we just need to grieve. Right now, we just need to suffer. Right now, I'm gonna enter into this with you. And there is so much about living in the question and the doubt and the heartache that we learn from Jesus' life that is so powerful. Right before his death, Jesus decides to take all of his disciples to this garden where he's gonna go pray. And it says this in Mark 14, 32. It says, when they went to a place called, called Gethsemane and Jesus said to his people, sit here while I pray, he took Peter, James, and John along with him and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if it's possible, this hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but your, what your will. See, see, notice right here the vulnerability that Jesus has with his friends. He, he invites them into his suffering. He invites them into this moment where he's like, look, I am so overwhelmed. I feel like I'm going to die right now. Like, like, forget the cross. I am in so much suffering that I don't even know if I'm going to be able to make it through this moment. And I desperately need you with me. And he invites community into his grieving, into his questioning, into his suffering alongside of them. See, moments where God feels absent, where it feels like he's unwilling to answer prayers, where it feels like he has gone radio silent, it's in those moments where it's absolutely necessary to bring others into that space with you. Ironically, it is those times where we want to self-protect the most, isn't it? It's in those moments where we want to go hide, we want to isolate, we want to sit in the corner by ourselves, we want to back up from the world around us. But what Jesus does, he says, I want to invite you into this space with me. Because when we can't experience an ethereal God out there, sometimes the most tangible form of God in another person is the most powerful thing that you can have right there in that moment. I can't tell you how many times I have wondered, where are you, God, in this? I can't sense you. I can't feel you. There is nothing about you that, this, that makes sense. I don't know what's going on. I feel like my world's tumbling upside down. And when I reach out to someone to be with me in it, it transforms everything. Because now I have a tangible expression of God over there with me in the suffering. See, when God is out there and silent, it is helpful to have like a physical representation of God and another person there with you who can speak on his behalf and move with him and minister to you in those places. But then I love that Jesus pursues prayer even when he knows the outcome. See, Jesus knew what he was about to do and he knew what he was about to go into. And even in that, he's like, all right, Lord, I'm gonna pray anyways. I'm gonna choose to enter into this conversation. This is, I would not want this. I don't want this. If there's anything else, please do it. But I'm going to pray anyways. And Jesus starts out this prayer with Abba, Father, which is this endearing term that a child would use to their parent. It's like an infant word, like daddy or papa in the middle of this. 
I, I love that in this moment where Jesus is so distressed about what he's going through and thinking about all the unanswered prayer that he is going about to enter into, that he does not question God's love in this moment, but he enters into this intimate space with him. He actually anchors himself from the very beginning in God's love for him. And he uses that as, as the foundation from which he operates and lives and moves from in that space by saying, Abba, Father. See, in those moments where God seems distant, when it seems like those prayers aren't working, when it seems like he has gone radio silent, it is so critical that we anchor ourselves back into love that we anchor ourselves back into the reality that I don't know where God is right now, or I don't know what's happening, or I don't have all the answers, and the questions seem to be mounting. It's in those moments that we can say, but I do know that God loves me and that he is love. And I can stand on that foundation. But then he actually takes it a step further. He doesn't just anchor himself in God's love. He anchors himself in God's power in this moment. He tells him, Abba, Father, I know that you can do anything you can do everything. There is nothing that is outside of your reach. So not only am I anchoring myself in your love, Abba Father, but I'm anchoring myself in your power, recognizing that you can do anything in this moment. And so he anchors himself in those spaces. See, when everything seems like it's lost, when it feels like the questions are mounting, when it feels like the answer is no, or that God is silent, or that he has abandoned you altogether, it is in those moments where it is so critical that we anchor ourselves back into his love and his power in the midst of the storm swirling around us. And then Jesus prays an incredibly unbiblical prayer. Probably one of the most unbiblical prayers that he could pray. Take this cup from me. See, here's the crazy thing. Jesus' whole life had been leading up to this moment, the cross, that he had come as a sacrifice for humanity, that he had come to remove the darkness from within all of us, that if we would connect to him after that moment on the cross, that it would remove all of the brokenness within the human condition if we entered into relationship with him. And in this moment, he's like, I don't want to do it. Everything that he had worked for, the entire reason he had come to the planet in this moment, and he says, take this cup from me. See, what I love about Jesus is even in this moment, he brings his radical honesty to God. Even in this moment, he's just like, take it from me. I don't want it. But then he, he follows it up with this statement, ultimately, your way is higher. And I can't see it right now. See, Jesus was looking at the cross going, I don't like this. This doesn't make sense. Take it from me. Is there any other way? There has to be another way. You're like God, right? And even in this moment, Jesus says, it doesn't make any sense to me at all. And I know I've been preparing like 33 years to get here. So take it if you can. But if not, I'm willing to re-anchor myself in your love and power and your will be done because your ways are higher than my ways and I can't see them right now. But if this is what you have for me, then Abba, Father, loving, all-powerful God, I will enter into this space blind, not fully knowing what's going to happen ahead of me. See, our prayers aren't fully answered for a couple of reasons. And this is from a, a, a book called The Prayer Course with Peter Grieg, and he, he talks about this. He says, one of the reasons why prayer doesn't get answered is simply because of the way God has set up the world. There, there are certain principles in the universe that are just universal, 
and that we don't have a lot of control over them. We, we don't actually get a say in these things, things like famine and flood and fires. They're going to happen, and we don't have a lot of control over whether or not they're going to happen. We just spent a family vacation in Mexico this last week, and every time we go to Mexico, it says it's going to rain, and I pray, dear God, just don't let it rain. Dear God, please don't let it rain. And I imagine there's a bunch of other people also praying that same prayer. Could you imagine what happens if every tourist that went to Mexico prayed for no rain and God said, sure, yeah, no problem, let me take care of that. What would happen to Mexico, right? <laughs> I mean, they would be living in drought <laughs> and lose all of their plants and the nation would starve. And so Jesus actually, God cannot actually answer all of those prayers. There are going to be days where it rains. There are going to be hurricanes. There are going to be floods and fires and earthquakes. And no matter what we pray, those things are going to happen. And they should actually be very rare for those to actually work. They should actually be miraculous for the universe to actually stay in some type of rhythm within itself. See, the fact of the matter is, is that every single one of us is going to die of something. I know we don't like that idea. See, could you imagine if God answered every single prayer for healing? this world would quickly be overpopulated. And so the fact of the matter is, is even when we pray that God would heal someone, that's part of the way the universe has actually been set up. Not that he desires that, but that, that that is just a part of being human, is that there will be an end to us. And then there's this other aspect of God's war that's happening around the world. And that when you read through the scriptures, it talks that there is an enemy, there is a spiritual opposition that, that is moving against us, that is not more powerful than God, but influences people around us. And because God has allowed us to live in a space where we have free will to engage the world as we want, people are influenced by this agent of darkness and brokenness that speaks into people's lives and informs us even to make destructive choices. And so we could get a whole talk on just this problem of evil alone. But the reality is, one of the reasons why it seems like prayer goes unanswered is that people are actually free to live how they want. And I know that's very disturbing for most of us. But there are times where God just doesn't intervene because if he did, it would interrupt how he has set up humanity's free will system. And finally, there, there are times where God doesn't answer or it seems like he doesn't answer because he says no because of God's will. Now, this doesn't mean that every time God says no to something or God doesn't answer something, that, that it's his will, that he longs for it to happen. It doesn't mean that God wills everything to happen or not happen within our lives. There are some things that happens that he weeps over, that he allows to happen, but he still mourns in it with us. If God says yes to everything, our world would be a mess. I, we, we, there are times where when Jackson comes to me and says, can I have more candy? Can I have more ice cream? Can I have more Sprite? And I tell him no, I am instantly evil, the villain, and socially unacceptable. And he doesn't understand when I say no, I have a more logical reason than he can understand at that moment. I'm just the bad guy. Parents know exactly what I'm talking about. And it doesn't compute in his mind why he's not allowed to have another candy bar or why he's not allowed to have another hour on his iPad or why he's not allowed to stay up two hours later. But there's a larger perspective that I have over his life that for him seems cruel and unusual. 
And for me, it's the best thing that could ever happen to him. See, could you imagine if God said yes to some of the things you prayed when you were 20 or 15? (laughs) That the world would be a crazy place if God just said, have at it. See, there are times where even if you knew God's will, even if God sat you down and explained everything, it still would not compute. There are some things in life that there are just no good answers for. That even the answers that are in the mind of God would not make much sense to us from the earthly perspective that we have here and now. And I don't like that answer. There aren't really many good reasons as to why people were hurt or people were lost or things happened to us that are tragic. There are no answers to answer any of that. And we still get to hang in the reality that God is still loving and still powerful and still present in the midst of all of this. Do not take God's silence as his absence. Those are two very different things. That when God is silent in life, it does not mean that he is not there because he has promised, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. And in those moments, it's the moments where we get to hang on even in the disbelief and the doubt and the wondering and the questions and the pain and the longing to self-protect and say, I choose to be in the reality that God has set up for me. There's this moment in the book of Daniel that I love where Daniel and a couple of his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, actually not Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, King Nebuchadnezzar have asked them to bow down to their gods and they refused. And in their refusal, King Nebuchadnezzar said, I'm going to throw you into this giant furnace if you do not bow down to my idols. And they still said, I'm not going to. In fact, this is what they say in Daniel chapter three, starting in verse 16. And I I love their attitude as they say this. It says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we were thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we served is able to deliver us from us and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not... (laughs) We want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of God, the gold that you have set up. I love their attitude in this moment. (laughs) They're like, our God can, and our God will show up, and he will save us from this. But even if he does not, (laughs) he is still good. (laughs) And we will not bow down to any of your gods in the middle of this. I love this attitude. This is the attitude that I long to have in every situation that I find myself in. That in moments where God is silent or a hard no, what we need in these moments is not necessarily faith, but faithfulness. To just remain faithful. In these moments, just to remain faithful to say, I am still going to follow and I am still going to trust and I may be looking at a fiery furnace and I have no idea. I know God can save me. And maybe he will. And maybe that's a possibility. But even if he doesn't, I'm gonna remain faithful. I'm gonna stay in it. We, we live in a culture where things get difficult 
and we bounce. Where things get hard and we're unwilling to stay in it. Where, where, where things hit and we, we leave in the middle of it. Whether it is, hey, the marriage is now inconvenient, I'm out. The friendship now no longer works for me, I'm out. The place of work doesn't really fit my jive, I'm out. The budget doesn't work for me anymore. The diet plan doesn't work for me anymore. I'm out. God no longer serves my purposes. I'm out. And we find ourselves that when things get difficult, we're out. But see, if our prayers were always answered, we actually wouldn't need faith. It would just be the logical thing to do, to pray. But see, God actually asks us to enter into this suffering, enter into this mourning. The more we're willing to, to persevere through the suffering, through the hardship, through the questions, through the doubt, what the scriptures say, the end game of that, what, the, what it produces in us is hope. That when we've been through the hard times, when we've been through the trials, when we've been through all of it, that at the end of it, we can say, there is hope available because I have tasted and I have seen that God is good. And it didn't make much sense. And I don't really know how to explain all that happened. And there are things that I would have done very differently, but I can know that I am still here. See, God comes closest to us when we are in crisis. That we move closer to God when we are in crisis. And I've learned that rather than asking God why, in those moments. Why weren't you there? Why didn't you answer? Why didn't you come through? That what God actually longs for us is to ask the question, where are you? Where are you in the midst of this? And not like a, where are you? But God, show me where you are. I can't see you. It's dark right now. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's happening. But would you show up and move in this place? Would you show me what you're up to and would you show me where you are? Because here's the thing, I don't need to know why things are happening around me. I don't need to know all of the answers. I don't need to know the five-step process to getting to where we need to go. But if I can just lock my eyes on him and just stay steadfast in the struggle, I know that there will be hope on the other side and that this is where God moves us towards. I want you just to stand up with me. We're gonna play some music right now. And I want you just to close your eyes for a moment. Would you just close your eyes? And I want you just to think of an area in your life that feels unanswered. Maybe you've been even un unwilling to pray about it because you're like, it feels too big for God or... It feels so overwhelming. Maybe there are areas in your life where you have been begging God and praying to God and there just hasn't seemed to be an answer come through. And maybe there are places where God wants you to grieve in those moments. I just want you to, to lock onto whatever that is. Maybe it's a circumstance. Maybe it's a situation. Maybe it's a relationship. And I want you just to lock on to that, whatever that is. And I'm going to read this psalm as you think about that situation at the circumstance. And as I'm reading this, if you need to speak anything out loud to God, I'm frustrated, I'm angry. Why have you done this? 
Maybe you just need to ask him, where are you? It's okay, he's big enough, he can handle it. But over that situation, over that circumstance, I want you just to listen to this, Psalms 91. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the, the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you say the Lord is my refuge and you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent because he loves me, says the Lord. I will rescue him. I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Right now, with whatever you're going through, whatever that unsettled thing is, whatever that question that you have in your mind of God, where are you? Why didn't you? You should have. Maybe there's just so many questions. God feels silent. You're disappointed with him. I just want you to let it out to him. It's okay. He's big enough. He can handle it. He can handle the grief and the heartache. He can handle all of the questions. He can handle the tears and the how comes. He is big enough. And if you're willing to just lock eyes on him and say, God, where are you? Would you show yourself to me? I know he will reveal himself to you. And this morning, if you're here and you have not yet connected to Jesus, maybe you're online and you're watching today and you're like, man, I don't even know where to begin with this. I, I, maybe you haven't even entered into a relationship with him. And you're like, this sounds awesome to have a God who I can hang with in the suffering. Maybe you've been away from him for a long time and you're wondering, where is he? This is an opportunity to come back home like we sang today. And so if that's you here in this room with your just eyes closed, or if you're online and you're saying, hey, today I wanna connect to Jesus, maybe for the first time or for the first time in a long time, would you just raise your hand and just say, I wanna connect to Jesus today? Awesome. If you're online, you can just type Jesus in that chat box. And I want you just to pray this prayer with me. I want you to just pray, dear Jesus, I know that I am broken. And I know that you came and you died for me. And you came back to life so that I could fully live. I give you everything today. And I follow you with my whole life. I give you everything. I thank you. I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope that it was a meaningful experience and look forward to having you listen in next week for another conversation from the heart and soul of Humanity Church. You can find more information about our community at www.humanitychurch.com.